Well, good morning again. Uh, this morning we come to the end of our fall series on new beginnings. We've been looking at Old Testament characters and how God's participation and activity in their life uh, led them to kind of new paths in their life, new beginnings, starting overs, forgiveness and new challenges and many ways in which God brings a new beginning into people's lives. And this morning we're finishing with uh, one of the most fascinating characters, I think, in the Old Testament, the character the woman Deborah, who was a prophet and a judge in Israel. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen, we'll be in Judges chapter 4 this morning, verses 1 through 14. Let's hear God's word. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam. From Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Haber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh. And when they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Rosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. And then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, may you take uh, this story and how you worked through Deborah and Barak and the people of Israel. May you take this story and help us to understand your challenge that when you are ready to lead, why would we lag behind? We thank you now, Lord. Help us to hear what you would say to us in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's amazing what people can do if they are really motivated. You may have heard the story about the elderly couple who had been at a campground for several days when a young family rolled up in their SUV and parked in the site next to them. 
The couple and their three kids piled out of the SUV, and without a word, one of the children ran to the back of the SUV, started unloading the ice chest and the sleeping bags and the backpacks. The other two kids quickly, without any bickering, without any complaints, they ran back, grabbed the tent, started setting up the tent and getting it all together. Their site was ready to go in less than 15 minutes. And the older couple was just amazed at how well the children had worked together. And so they said to the dad, you know, you sure know how to get your children to work together. And the dad said, well, the secret is we've got one simple rule. Nobody goes to the bathroom until camp's set up. I mean, that's how to motivate people. Well, what motivates you? What really stirs you up on the inside? What propels you to take action? What gets you off the cozy couch? What gets your juices going? You see, motivation is what propels people into action. For example, if you saw a two-year-old about to put her hand into a pot of boiling water, what wouldn't you do to stop that from happening. I mean, you'd forget about all the conventional rules of normal, appropriate behavior. You'd yell at the top of the lungs. You'd leap over furniture. You'd knock over lamps. You wouldn't care if you offended somebody or, or, or hurt somebody's feelings. You wouldn't care if you looked stupid or silly. You wouldn't care. You, what wouldn't you do in order to stop that young girl from putting her hand in boiling water? You see, motivation propels people into action. Well, how motivated are you in your faith? How motivated are you in your relationship with the Lord? How motivated are you to put your faith into action? To do the things that will sustain a healthy faith? To live in such a way that you honor Jesus Christ on a daily basis? The key to a new beginning with God often comes back to that one simple question. What really motivates you. That's what fascinates me about the story of Deborah. What a remarkable woman. Her story takes place during the period of what we call the Judges. It was about 200 years after the Lord had freed the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and they had gone into the promised land under Joshua, but they never fully conquered it. And they kind of got lackadaisical. They got a little, uh, little too content And so what followed was this repeating cycle of falling away from the Lord and then falling into oppression. It was almost like they went back in slavery again under the Canaanites now. The Canaanites and their detestable god Baal, whose worship involved child sacrifice and male and female ritual prostitution. But then they would be under this, this oppression and eventually the people would cry out and they'd repent and they'd return to God. And God would raise up a leader, one of these judges, sort of a a non-elected kind of just charismatic leader who would rally the people and lead them back to the Lord their God. And Deborah was one of these judges. She's the only woman mentioned in Scripture as the leader of the nation of Israel. And her story is actually told twice in the book of Judges. In chapter 4 that we just started to read, it's told in prose But if you go on and read in chapter 5, the same story is told again in fuller detail through poetry, through the song of Deborah. And you really need to read both in order to get all of the details. But Deborah kept court under a palm tree where she would usually just settle disputes. She'd solve problems. She'd act as a counselor or a mediator. But she was also a spiritual leader. 
a prophetess who was in touch with what God wanted to do. And as she looked around, she knew that her people were oppressed. The people lived in fear. They were utterly defeated. We find out in chapter 5 that they couldn't openly travel on the highways, that their farms were under siege, that they had no weapons, no shields, no spears to defend themselves. They felt inferior. They just didn't match up to the Canaanites. They were one hurting group of people, and in a sense it was a very dark hour for the people of Israel. For many years, nobody did anything except complain. Oh, isn't this awful? What a terrible time we live in. Isn't it so bad? But Deborah saw something different. She was attuned to God in such a way that she knew God wanted her to do something about the situation that she saw. And so she became the rallying point, the rallying point to to gather people together to resist the oppression. She was motivated to do something, and that motivation propelled her into action. She had what Bill Hybels called a Popeye moment. Do you remember the old cartoon character Popeye? His arch enemy, Bluto, they would fight over the very svelte olive oil. Never quite sure why, but they would always fight over olive oil. And Bluto would always get the upper hand, and he would just pound on Popeye until Popeye could barely get up. And when it looked like it was over for Popeye, he would utter his famous line, I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Then he'd pull out his can of spinach and wolf it down, and muscles would start popping out all over his body, and then he'd turn the tables on Bluto and just sock it to him. A Popeye moment. I've had all I can stands, and I just can't stands no more. Bill Hybels calls that a holy discontent. We can't keep going down the same road. Something's got to change. There's a sense that God is doing something, that God is on the move, that it's gotten under your skin and it won't let you go. That's what happened to Deborah. She had this Popeye moment about her people. You know, lots of people can't sleep at night because of their anxieties. They can't sleep because of the things that worry them. When was the last time you laid awake because you were so excited about something? You couldn't sleep because God had gotten under your skin about something important that He wanted you to do. Because there was an idea, a passion, a ministry, a calling that just wouldn't let you go and you had to respond to it. That's a holy discontent. And that's what breeds motivation in a person's life. It's what propels people to take some kind of action. You know, they say there are three kinds of people. Those who make things happen, those who watch what happens, and those who ask, hey, what happened? Deborah made things happen. She took the initiative. Everyone has a great idea in the shower. Only a few people step out of the shower, towel off, and actually do something about it. Deborah took action. She had a holy discontent about the condition of the people around her. And she had a clear sense of what God wanted her to do. And so she was motivated to take action. The result was that she motivated others. Her commitment, her faith, her holy discontent was actually infectious. She gave strength and confidence to those around her. So much so that that General Barak leaned on her. He said, if you go with me, I'll go. 
people leaned on her because of her infectious passion. I don't think Barak was cowardly, but the plan made no sense whatsoever from a military point of view. They were hopelessly outnumbered. The technology of iron weapons over bronze weapons, they they didn't have a chance. Plus, they had 900 chariots equipped with blades on the wheels that would spin like something out of Conan the Barbarian. We know from history that these chariots were just massive uh, uh, weapons. They could just mow down infantry like crazy. And so foot soldiers uh, had no chance. These chariots were like a hot knife through butter. And so no wonder her plan was to take the soldiers up into the hills, into Mount Tabor, where the chariots were less effective. But Barak's reluctance was not fear. It was common sense. You can almost hear him saying, we don't have the weapons, we don't have an army, we don't have any military experience. My generation has never tasted victory. So we're not sure we even want to try. Barak had a lot of common sense, but his common sense was not informed by faith. What the Hebrews really lacked was not swords and shields, but a living faith in the one and only true God. And so Deborah understood the basic truth that a divine call always is accompanied by divine provision. Barak started to get the message. He did not shy back one bit when Deborah took him up the mountain as Sisera and his iron chariots came up the dry riverbed. And God, in his, in his plan, caused a sudden rainstorm in the mountain that sent a flash flood down the riverbed. We learn about this in chapter 5. It's sort of like the arroyos out in the southwest. You know, oftentimes we'll see that, you know, uh, cars are being swept away because of a flash flood. They're just lifted and carried right down the water in a flash flood. Well, the same thing happened with Sisera as he brought his chariots using the riverbed like a road through the, through the wilderness. God caused that storm, and the storm totally disrupted the chariots and left them helplessly stuck in the mud or drowned. And that's when Deborah gave the order to charge. And Barak, with his 10,000 men, they came charging down that mountain like a scene from Lord of the Rings, and they overwhelmed the confused Canaanites. The end result was a new beginning, not for Deborah, but for her whole nation. Deborah's leadership brought victory. It broke that downward cycle. It brought spiritual renewal. It brought her people back to God. The force of her faith in God and her determined personality gave Barak the courage to face odds that that he thought were really overwhelming. You know, God is looking for people who are ready ready to be motivated to take action in their own lives and in the lives of others. People who look around and who see what God is doing and then join in with what God is doing in order to lift the lives of other people. People who are gripped by a a holy discontent that leads them then to positive action. So why not you? Why not you? You see, it's all about motivation. Weak desire brings weak results. Weak desire brings weak results. The most powerful force in the world is the human soul on fire for God. As someone once said, there's no greater credibility than conviction translated into action. Are your convictions being translated into action? 
Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked a little bit of Dr. about Dr. David Livingstone, who was a missionary in Africa in the 1850s through 70s. And in Malawi, where we were uh, just a few weeks ago, um, we saw many tributes to Dr. Livingstone. And he was such a pioneer and such a revolutionary in terms of exploring what was virtually unknown at that time to the Western world. And one missionary organization wanted to send him helpers. And so they wrote to Dr. Livingstone and they said to him, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other people to join you. And Livingstone wrote back and said, If you have people who will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want people who will come even if there is no road at all. You see, weak desire brings weak results. What might God be stirring up in your life? And what will you do about it? In your faith, you've got to push beyond where you are right now. You've got to take the initiative. Because no one can do the minimum and expect to reach their maximum potential in your faith or your life. In sports or academics, relationships, work or faith... When was the last time that you really initiated something positive in your life and faith? Something significant where you pushed yourself beyond where you are right now. Don't wait for that opportunity to knock. You have to go look for it. And so this morning, I really want to challenge your excuses. God is going ahead. Why would you lag behind? God is going ahead. Why would you lag behind? Hesitation, fear, common sense, like Barak? I really want you to look at your excuses and challenge yourself a little bit to take action because taking action in in life and faith always involves some kind of a risk. But you know what? There's always more risk if we don't take action. So take a serious look at your life. There was a sign on a Midwestern rural uh, feed store that read this, If you don't like the crop you're reaping, check the seed you're sowing. And though the sign was an ad for, for you know, farm seeds, it's a wonderful life principle. If you don't like the crop you're reaping, check the seeds you're sowing. What kind of crop are you reaping? Do your life and faith and relationships seem to be getting better day after day and month after month? Or are you constantly fighting just to kind of hold your ground? If you're not where you'd hoped you'd be, it might have something to do with how motivated you really are. And finally, if your new beginning doesn't include others, then your vision of God is too small. A new beginning like Deborah's at some point needs to touch the lives of others. God wants your influence to go beyond just yourself, just the individual. He wants you to look around and care about the condition of others around you. I want to challenge you especially this week to look around at the people that you rub shoulders with this week. Many of them are one decision away from a moral or financial or or marital ruin. People who are considering options with consequences that will follow them the rest of their lives. Husbands teetering on the brink of unfaithfulness. Uh, Families that are cracking under the weight of unsustainable schedules. People who are, are drowning in a sea of debt. Teens who already feel hopeless about life. Young adults who 
think that they have no value or no direction. People who are silent and waiting and and hoping and doubting all at the same time. Well, what are you going to do? What are you prepared to say? This, This is a world that needs new beginnings in Jesus Christ every single day. Everywhere you look. So what are you going to do about it? There is much at stake, and there are many people who are at risk. And the great news of Scripture, that there is a new beginning through Jesus Christ. Are new beginnings really possible? You know, we have to say yes, emphatically yes. You know, the book of Judges is all about a time of war and terror and instability and political upheaval and economic chaos, spiritual decline, oppression and suffering hopelessness, and about how God was at work in all of those situations for his own glory. I mean, the book of Judges, it's just like reading today's newspaper. It's just like our world. There is no power in those supposedly overwhelming circumstances. The power is only in the hands of the one and only true and living God. And when he goes ahead, friends, we cannot lag behind. We must act in faith knowing that our actions will be met by His provision. The Lord still calls, so why not you? Why not you? Our church, our community, our region, our nation, our world needs some Debras. Our world needs some Barracks who can confront those twin evils of, of apathy and apostasy. Deborah was an extraordinary woman who acted in faith when others were paralyzed by fear. Just think of our lives, of what our church or even our world would look like if we were motivated to follow the Lord like Deborah, if we were in tune with God's activity like Deborah, if we cared about others like Deborah, if we took the initiative like Deborah. A new beginning. Friends, we could revolutionize the lives of so many people because with Christ it is possible to have a new beginning every single day. So how about you? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the example of Deborah. Her leadership, her vision, her insight, her guts, her willingness to risk and lay it all on the line, her willingness to step up when other people step back, her willingness to, to, to care enough to put her own life at risk. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to stir up in us a holy discontent, a a motivation, a passion that says, you know, it can't keep going on the way it is. Somebody's got to do something, and that somebody is me. Whatever that might be, Lord, and bringing healing to a family, to reaching out to a troubled teenager, to caring about unwed mothers, to being involved in a ministry overseas, whatever it might be, Lord, I just pray that we would always put aside our excuses and really ask, what about me? We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.